You're listening to Seahawks Stories, taking you behind the scenes with your favorite current and former Seahawks. Russell play fake, drops back, going to throw it deep. Got a man. It's Metcalf. He's out there. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Turbin in the backfield with Wilson, who goes out of the shotgun. Look out, here comes the blitz. Russell steps up. Now he's got a scramble. Now he dumps it. Turbin. Midfield, 45-40, down the near sideline, 30. 25, puts his head down. What a run. By Turbin, he's all the way down to the Chargers' 21-yard line. A 32-yard pickup. Now, here's your host, Super Bowl 48 champion, Robert Turbin. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome to another edition, another episode of Seahawks stories. We are in episode four now, man. Moving and growing. We got grooving. We got a special guest on the show today. Man, always good to hear uh uh Steve Rabel's uh man, his voice, man. You know, doing doing the highlights is amazing. But I want to introduce our guest to the show today, former Seahawk, University of Virginia graduate, Ray Roberts. What's going on, boss? What's happening, man? It's good to I love hearing uh Rabel make those calls too, you know, right? Guys that are on the show. And like it, it's one thing, it shows you how long Rabel's been doing it. And then right. the other thing is that you know it says that you know we have ballers on the show. So it's always right. good to be able to have a highlight here and there. Now I know, I know like you know, you played offensive line. So a lot of times, you know, those highlights, you know <laughs> what I'm saying, you know, the offensive line not getting the attention that they probably deserve. You know, I yeah. want you to know for me, none of those highlights matter without y'all doing the thing up front, man. Hey, you know what? I appreciate it. Me and my, my buddies in uh, Detroit, we always had this thing we would say uh, overworked and underappreciated. And so uh, it's just kind of like the thing that you got to embrace as an offensive lineman. And it, it's almost like an offensive lineman, can't, I can't imagine him playing any other position because you have to have that mentality that you're not chasing the stardom or you're not trying to get the the limelight or the credit or whatever. You're just going out there to do your job, man. Like pound somebody in the face and drive them in the dirt, you know, uh-huh. gain some yards, protect the quarterback. Like, uh, and just know that <laughs> the only time they're going to call your name is if they're like false start number 72. <laughs> offense. <laughs> That's crazy. You know? Isn't that crazy though? Yeah. It's like you, you guys are only getting the attention when there's something like negative. Mm-hmm. Pretty much like and I want I'm going to ask you about that, that that in a second. But I want all of our listeners to know for me, first off, really appreciate everyone who subscribed, who's taking the time to listen to these episodes, man. Uh, we're continuing to grow. Uh, the goal of this show, Ray, is, you know, eventually to be able to move on uh, from the Zoom thing and be able to, like, actually be in studio and continue to have guests on and maybe even have a, you know, invite the 12s to come out and, you know, have a couple of drinks and uh, maybe some food and, and do the show that way. And that's the way that the, that's the vision that we have for this show. As we continue to have more guests, as we continue to, uh, to build um, and grow and Seahawks stories is really all about, you know, the behind the scenes stories that you wouldn't be able to Google that you wouldn't be able to read in the media uh, about, you know, your life and career, um, you know, as a Seahawk and, and, and throughout your entire football career, man. So once again, thanks for coming on the show, but I do want to highlight that 
offensive lineman attention thing. You know, it, it's kind of random. I don't have it in my notes, but I, but I, I have you ever like had a teammate that was an offensive lineman that like wanted because even as a runner and right. other positions, you have guys who don't really care about the attention. Did you ever have any offensive line teammates just like, man, yeah, I want I want some credit like we deserve like <laughs> some limelight here. Yeah, no, not not really, man. And it's interesting that you that you say that I used to do this um, this thing for the, the Seahawks and they had this. Uh, uh, Susan Susan B. Coleman, um, Susan G. Coleman, um, cancer uh, football night. And I would go and I would do this full presentation to these group of women about football. And so I would break all the different positions down based on like how how women groups tend to be. And so, uh, you know, I always had the offensive lineman is kind of like um, kind of like that, the, the stay at home, like soccer mom that kind of can takes care of everybody and just knows that, uh, that she's not going to get a whole lot of credit for it in that kind of way. But all the other positions, there was some element of it that they needed to be seen. Like they needed, <laughs> like there, there may be a person that may not like in a running back group that is all cool with it, but running back by its nature is a position that garners attention because you have the ball uh -huh. in your hand a lot. Right. Receivers are the same way. Quarterbacks are the same way. And so, uh, and so just in general, uh, offensive lineman, man, I've never come across one offensive, like, look at me type dude, because we just rely on each other too much, man. We have to be five dudes working as one unit. And so you can't like have a dude in order to get attention by yourself. You got to do something by yourself. Right. And if you do that, you got, you, you run the risk of messing up the whole place and so you mess it up for everybody. So you can have four of the five guys blocking a play perfectly. And the one dude that messes up is a five yard loss. You know what right. I'm saying? So you can't afford to be out there going rogue, going like, hey, look at me, look at me. Uh, like, I even get frustrated sometimes when I see, like, the offensive linemen trying to get their drip on, and they got, like, the coolest shoes, and they got the, the <laughs> socks, and, every, like, everything has to be like, it's like, no, man, just get dirty with it, bro. Like, yeah. that's how we roll, you know what I'm saying? It's hey. like, it's like seeing a, a center in basketball wear, like, the number two. Like, come on, dog. Like, like. <laughs> You're playing too small, which man. I think they probably can wear now. They <laughs> yeah, probably can. Yeah. Center could probably wear number two nowadays. Absolutely, with the new rules, man. But you know the old saying that you know the prime time look good, feel good. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you play good, man. Yeah, I look good, felt good, play good, just in the standard issue stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what though? It's a rarity. So it's a rarity for an offensive lineman to have the ball in their hands, right? But there are some instances where it happens randomly like a tip ball or a fumble recovery or like uh, I think the most recent that I could remember it, it actually pretty a pretty big time play was the Patriots offensive lineman on a kickoff return all right little squib kick and he ends up breaking out breaking out on the left side and getting a bunch almost scoring a touchdown were you ever involved in any kind of play like that did it ever happen to you where the ball was in your hands or or a teammate. Yeah, yeah the, the first uh, the first reception I ever had was uh, I forget who we were playing here in Seattle and Rick Myers, the quarterback, we're trying to throw a screen and the screen got tipped and it just came. It just like literally like just Velcroed to my chest. Boom! I just caught it and I just took off running. I probably gained like maybe three or four yards and then just kind of I, I don't think I was running. I was okay. falling the whole time. It was, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a matter of where I was going to land. Like there was no like. <laughs> 
run into it. And then uh, and then I was in Detroit. This was crazy on a Friday, you know, Friday walk through practice. And uh-huh. so I'm like, hey, I'm going to be Barry Sanders for the day. And so I took all the little reps at running back, you know, like like I was Barry. There it is. And I said, hey, like, you know, I played running back when I was a kid. Like, I didn't move to, like, the line or anything until I was in, like, eighth grade. And wow. uh, so I was always a running back. And so that game, we're playing the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Scott Mitchell's drop backs to pass. I don't know who hit him or whatever. He fumbled. But the ball ended up, like, right between my legs. And so I just picked it up and started running. And I'm thinking, like, man, I can get to that first down marker. <laughs> and, like, I felt like I only had to take, like, two steps. Right. I took, like, one step. And, like, Gabe Northern and uh, uh, what's the little uh, uh, little defensive back from Eastern Washington here, Western Washington, they both just drilled me out of bounds. They hit me <laughs> so hard. Like, I fumbled the ball back into the field. I landed about oh, five man. yards. I landed about five. Kurt Schultz, that was the other guy. I landed yeah. about five yards out of bounds. And I blew out my MCL, so I was out of the game. And so, no. as I'm, oh yeah. And so as I'm walking, as I'm going into the locker room, I'm thinking like, damn, like the running backs do this like 25, 30 times a game. Like, how do they get the hell up? Like, it, like, it's oh, like, like everybody's like trying to hit the dude with the ball. You know what I'm saying? And so, right. I was just I, like, not that I didn't respect running backs, but it just gave me a different level of respect for running backs uh, because of that. And then. uh we had another play the next year after I had come back, we were run, going against the Chicago Bears and we're just trying to get in field goal position for the halftime. Uh-huh. And we threw this pass, throw the quick slant, toss it back to somebody, you know. And so Brett Perriman ran the slant, called it. He was supposed to toss it to Johnny Morton. He tossed it over Johnny's head. It landed in my hands. So then I'm running and I, I know what the plan <laughs> is because we, we literally drew it up in the dirt, in the huddle. And so I'm, I'm running with the ball and I look for Barry. And so right as I'm getting ready to get hit, I pull like the the old school Jamel Holloway, Oklahoma, you know, wishbone offense. Right. Kick it out to to Barry. And then I just got lit up by like (laughs) like three or four uh, Chicago Bears. Brian Cox was one of them. And we were all on the ground just dying laughing. They're like, dude, like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I was just (laughs) I was just trying to get out of the way to ball town. So I just had to do something with it. You know what I'm saying? So I've had my I've had my three carries and I got the uh, the golf, the game ball. Uh, for all three of them, just so I can say that hey, <laughs> I, I got, I got, I got two receptions and one rush in the NFL. There it is, man. <laughs> at, le- at least, at least on that last one, you was getting the ball to Barry, who's a, you oh, know yeah. actual playmaker, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, time, which we'll definitely have to get to, man. That's what's up, man. Hey, playing running back at the at at this level, much different than playing, you know, in uh, the Pop Warner League. I'm yes. sure for you, yes. yeah, man. It's, I mean. It's, I mean uh, you know, every it's everything about, you know, professional sports, you know, the people that are not in it uh, kind of have a like, why couldn't you do it this way attitude? But until you like actually have that leather in your hand and you know that those 11 other guys over there, their main job is to get the dude with the ball in his hand. It becomes right. really hard. You know, like gaining a yard is not as simple as it looks. Right. Man. So uh, you were uh, I want to go I want to go back a little bit. Because at University of Virginia, you were a four-year starter, which I don't think people realize how difficult that really is yes. to come in as a true freshman, right? Well, and I got redshirted. Res- got after your redshirt year, even yeah. that, and and be the starter, you know, from from essentially your freshman year mm-hmm. all the way until your uh, until your senior year was that like the, a, a goal? Because a lot of guys, when they come out of high school, they 
they kind of make their decision based on, man, am I going to play right away? Mm-hmm. Am I going to have a, am I going to have to red shirt? Am I going to have to, am I going to have an opportunity to play early after I red shirt? Did, you know, was, did that play into your decision at all? And, 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 you know, how did that go into, you know, like winning the job there? <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting story um, because uh, I'd originally committed to Tennessee had verbally committed to Tennessee uh, as a defensive end. And, uh-huh. and so I went to, I had one visit left. I was supposed to visit uh, UCLA, but we lived in North Carolina and I didn't think my parents would ever be able to come out there and see me play. So I canceled the trip to UCLA and, uh, and I took this trip to Virginia and I went to see Virginia. They lost to William and Mary. And so I thought to myself, like, man, they need some ballers up here. Like mm-hmm. I can play right away at Tennessee, Tennessee, no matter how good or bad their record is, they're always loaded with dudes. And so mm-hmm. you're going to do your time being a backup. Like you, like if you're a four-year starter at an SEC school, like you are, you're doing your thing. And, and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter which one of those schools you're at. And so I thought I could start right away at defensive end at Virginia. So I changed my commitment and went to UVA. And so that whole, um, first summer, dude, I was doing my thing at defensive end. Like they, I was a true freshman. They had all ACC linemen that couldn't block me. I'm just all over the place, sacking the quarterback, making time. Wow. And then, um, and then we went to play Georgia uh, my first year and I was second team defensive end as a true freshman. And they came to my room the night before the game. It's like, Hey man, like, I think we're going to redshirt you. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? I done like busting my butt. Like I started at like fifth string or something to work my way up. I should be the starter. The only reason I'm not a starter is because the dude's a senior. He's on like right. 230 pounds. I was 260 pounds, six five. I'm like, and like, like that's the only reason he's starting over me. And like, yeah, hey, we just want you to get like a little stronger. And you know, back then though, you could get a few reps, uh, you know, in a couple early games before they had to red shirt you. So I actually right. got a couple snaps in the Georgia game. And uh <laughs> All I got to say is that I was like a weather forecaster in those two or three plays because it was just wow. like straight on my back. Bop, and I was just like, <laughs> I was just looking at the sky, looking at the clouds, like, hey, it's smartly cloudy with the sun. And like, like, I, like these dudes were like fourth and fifth year seniors, big, huge arms. Like, I was just like, holy cow, like these are some big brothers. Yeah. And, uh, and so then they decided to redshirt me. And so then this is a long story, but it's kind of how we got to where yeah, this is Seahawks uh, stories, baby. Yeah. And so, uh, and so then, you know, I practice on those scout team defense the whole time just trying to kill everybody i was just i just played angry all the time fought everybody like any the, the offensive line weren't going to get that last little push on me i'm gonna push you right back punch you in the face like we're gonna fight and uh and because i was mad that i wasn't getting to play on defense and uh mm-hmm. and so they actually called my dad i was like why is this dude fighting everybody and then my dad was like, dude, like, cut it out. Like, I'm, got that. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to hold my ground, bro. I'm not letting yeah. anybody push me around. But then we go on spring break and we come back after spring break. And they're like, all this talking and whispering in the locker room. And I keep hearing my name. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? They're like, man, we heard they move you to offense. I'm like, no, nah, they ain't move me to offense. They're like, yeah, I, I think they are, bro. I think they're going to move you to offense. I'm like, dude, they, they can't even tap. They can't even block me on defense. Like, on like, why, why would they be moving me to offense? So we go to our little meeting and then the head coach after me like, Hey, Ray, I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, no problem. But Hey, I think we're going to try you out at offensive tackle. I'm like, what? Like, Oh man. <laughs> when I say that my heart was broken, like my heart was broken, dude, because back then like offensive line were like, you know, just thought they were like fat dudes, unathletic. Yeah. Yeah. And like I was, I was like an all conference basketball player. I could dunk any kind of way I wanted to dunk. They even asked me the year I was redshirted to go play basketball at UV. And I'm just like, dude, I don't know if I, if I can ever get the grades right to, to, to play two yeah. sports in one college. And so, and so then I, I, it just made no sense to me. 
And so I went, I went back to my room, dude. I was crying like a baby. Like, and I was just, my roommate was like, what's going on, dude? I'm like, dude, bro, like they told me I could play defense when I came here. Now they moved me to offense. Like they can't even, like you, you've been at all the practices. They can't even block me over there. Why they move me to, why they move me to offense? And, uh, and so then I just went to practice in the spring offensive tackle. <laughs> I felt bad for the running backs and quarterbacks. I just tried to mess up every time. I just, I just wanted to, want to be so bad that they'd be like, man, this dude, it ain't going to work. Just go Wait, back. did you ever get an explanation of why they wanted to move, why they moved you all of well, a sudden like that? Well, I, I, I first, uh, I started, I tried to transfer. So I was calling like, that was going to be my next question. Try to transfer. And then somehow my dad found out and I live about six hours away from UVA, University of Virginia, all in school. One day I showed up and this is a gold 1969 Grand Prix with a black vinyl top sitting in the in the fire zone and I'm like why is my dad here and so I walk in the door and he's like boy I heard you trying to leave and I just started crying dad they told me I could play defense he's like I don't care you gave him your word you ain't going nowhere you can whatever you want to accomplish on defense you can accomplish on offense got that that conference that conversation lasted maybe 20 minutes my dad got back in his car and drove six hours back home and then the rest was history you know what I'm saying? And so then I, I just had to go do what I had to do. And so I just decided that, you know, I'm going to be the best offensive lineman this school has ever seen. And uh, and so that's just kind of how I went about it. Long story short, though, is that later on, and then like, this is probably like six or seven years ago, I was at, back at UVA and I asked the head coach that was my head coach at the time. He was at one of the games. I'm like, dude, like, why did y'all move me to offense? I just never understood that. And he goes, well, there was this running back in Virginia named Terry Kirby who was like, a, you know, all world running back and all, you know, top player of the country, all this other kind of stuff. And we decided if we're going to have an all-American running back, we need an all-American left tackle. And we thought that you were the, you know, with the way the athleticism was going with the left tackle spot, you had quick feet, long arms, athletic, all that kind of stuff that, uh, that you'd be the best candidate to put over, put over there so that we could build this offense around the left tackle and the running back. And so that they didn't tell me that when they moved. Yeah. But, but so like years later, obviously, then that's and then I'm like, you know what, man, why couldn't someone say that? Like, could they like right. y'all just like switch me, change like I was like I, I wore number 99 for some reason, and you just gave me all of a sudden, hey, here's number 72, go for it. And I'm like, what? Like uh, like what? Like yeah. offensive line, like what are you talking about? You know? And uh so, but you know, when I look back at it, Turbo, like sometimes. People just see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And uh, and it takes the distance between the two for, for someone to see it. And, and so this coach had an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman named Ron Mattis, who played at UVA, got drafted by the Seahawks, and they moved mm-hmm. into tap, to offensive line. And so this guy was like, man, if I had played this Ron Mattis at offensive line at UVA, he probably would have been a higher draft pick because he was like, back then it was 12 rounds. I think he was like the 11th round draft pick of the Seahawks. Or something. Uh-huh. So he just felt like he could have done the guy better service if he had moved him to offensive line like he had like he had thought about it. So he, he didn't feel like he didn't want to make the mistake twice. And he knew that the left tackle spot was becoming, you know, more for an athletic type dude. Which is what very it, true. It was. Yeah. Which so is very true. That's kind of how I got over there. And it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I'm, you know, I ended up being over 300 pounds you know, playing in the NFL and stuff like that. But I came into high school at like 6'5 and about 250 pounds. I look more like a power forward than I did like an offensive lineman. So some people will look at me today and think like, oh, there's no way that you were like athletic or a hooper and all that kind of stuff. But I have lots of receipts, bro. Lots no, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> now I got to be honest with you, man, because it's like, you know, like, because I, I, 
I, I tell this story a little bit sometimes, and I've, I think I've even told the story with you guys in the broadcast booth, like my nephew, you know, he's a freshman in college and, you know, we compete. I'm, I'm still in my prime. I still want to play really. But I think about like in the future, you know, when I'm in my forties and in my fifties, you know, the importance of wanting to like, you know, remain in some sort of shape or, or, or fitness, because like one day he's going to beat me. You know, oh, yeah. he's going to he's going to beat me in the 40. He's going to beat me one on one in the back. It hasn't happened yet. One on one basketball, but it will. But I'd rather have it happen later as possible, you know, than, well, all, than all I got to say with that turbo is like, you better learn all the, the old man tricks. As much <laughs> in your brain as you think like, oh, I can still cross him over. I can still drop step and jump and do all that stuff. Yeah. Your mind will be saying one thing and your body will be saying something totally different. Right. So you have but, to learn like all those old man post moves. All those come on things. now. My you little fadeaway jumper. Like, turn when, around. You're, when you're wrestling with them, you can't let them know that they're gaining strength. So you got to do like the pinch and the twist and the grab and the, all this other kind of stuff so that you can, I hear you. you know. But, but, uh, but, I, but I say that to say like, I, I believe you when you say like, man, you could dunk any kind of way. You know what I mean? Because for whatever reason, man, you know, we, you know, obviously like everybody, you know, we get older and right. you know what I mean? Like I got the highlight tape. I showed it to him one time and he was like, that was you uncle in high school. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like what are you talking about, man? So, Hey, you, I feel you, you know what I'm saying? You don't gotta, you don't gotta prove nothing to me, man. Did you think about playing, going to basketball route at all? Uh, no, man, I've always known myself to be a football player, man. My, my dad okay. coached uh, basketball, which, you know, would be AAU right now. But he, my dad used to coach like these rec teams where we had such good athletes in our in our uh, school and stuff. The dudes that didn't make the basketball team and stuff, my dad would take them and make a rec team out of them. We traveled all over the all over the state, like uh, playing other rec teams in basketball. And then it became AAU. So I always played for my dad. And then when I got to like 11th grade, the basketball dudes were like, dude, like you, you got to come play for the high school, man. Like, like we could use you, you know, like, and I'm like, man, I just like playing for my dad. Like I'm a football dude. Like, and so, uh, so actually my 10th grade year, well, let me back up my ninth grade year. I was like, yeah, let me go out and try this basketball thing. Mm -hmm. And I went and tried out, you know, was balling and I got cut. I didn't mm -hmm. make the team. And so that back then you used to go up to the door and they have all the dudes that made the team. You on yeah. the piece of paper. So yeah. I'm up there, I'm like going down the line. Like, okay, wait, Going to get like, wait let me, let me, let me look one more time. Yeah, let me. And then I'm just like, Hey, y'all, do y'all see my name up there? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, man, no, nah, maybe we don't see your name. I'm like, damn, like I got cut. Like, a, like, how did I get cut from the basketball team? And so then the next year, my, my junior year, I mean, my sophomore year, I walked up to the door for the tryouts and I was just like, yeah, I don't even feel like playing. So I went back and played for my dad. And then my junior year, I went out for the high school team. And then I was all conference, you know, two years in a row playing basketball and, Nice. You know, all that kind of stuff. And then and then when AAU first started, I was like on our a, our first AAU team and like going around the, the area of region playing basketball. And then I started yeah. getting, you know, like scholarship offers for basketball. But I love the contact of football. I wasn't going to fool anybody to think that I was, you know, basketball, whatever. I played it because my buddies played and I like playing, but I just I like hitting people. And mm -hmm. I couldn't I couldn't mm -hmm. hit people in basketball, you know. So mm -hmm. I just never I never even entertained it. Even at Virginia, when they asked me to uh, my redshirt year to come play basketball. Uh, I, I didn't really want to play, but I told the, the head coach was Terry Hollis at the time. I said, Hey, I'm not going to just give you five fouls, bro. Like I'm trying to average a double, double. 
Like that's, that's, what I, that's what I told him. But that's just my <laughs> way to say like, nah, bro, I'm playing football. That's all I want. Right. And uh, but uh, but yeah, like, but I do like playing. Like I, I did like playing. I, you know, just, you know, pick up basketball, playing with the. You know, I would go and play with the college team, like doing pickup games and stuff like that. We had a lot of good basketball players on our football team too. So um, uh, we would always challenge them and stuff. The only way they beat us because they got dudes that are like eight foot tall and stuff. We didn't. Well, of course, I, and, that's, know, and like, that's what they do every day. You yeah, know, and I'm, I'm six five day. trying to guard like their seven foot center. That ain't working. Yeah, you know? it ain't working. <laughs> well, you mentioned, man, you mentioned earlier that, you know, your pops came to visit you. You know, he said, listen, you committed to the school. All right. Play left tackle. So you decided from that moment forward, you were going to be the best left tackle. You know, this this school has mm-hmm. ever seen. You know, and so speaking of that, you won the Jacobs Trophy two years in a row during your time at Virginia. And you were an All-American your senior year. Talk about what those accolades meant to you. Those times. Well, you know, I've, I've never really paid that much attention to him. I just, I just, as an offensive lineman, man, it was all about our whole unit. Like, I, like everybody working together to make each other better. And, uh, and then even like our, our guys, like uh, on our scout team, you know, like those dudes like had to bring their best to make me better, you know? And, and then, you know, I also had the, the privilege of practicing against Chris Slade, who was also like a, you know, a legend in ACC and, played it like made one of the all decade teams for the Patriots back in the day. And so he and I used to go head to head a lot and to, to the point where sometimes they wouldn't let us practice against each other because we go so hard. Uh, so when I think about those things, I think about all the people that, that helped me get there that, you know, to be honest with you, I almost flunked out of school, you know? So like, like even the, the, the lady that helped me, you know, recapture my academic career, like she takes part of that, you know, because yeah. if, if, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to be there. Like I, yeah. This is the God down the truth, Turbo. <laughs> uh, After man. my first semester at the University of Virginia, like, you know, I, did, I didn't know what college was. I didn't know how to manage my time. I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. all these different things. I had like a, like a 1.04 or something like that. GPA. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went to my, my academic advisor and I was like, yo, like, this is not because I can't do the work. I just don't know how to organize my time to get the work done. And like, you can, you know, talk to NASA and those dudes about my... <laughs> My organizational skills and being on time and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I said, I can't go home. I say, I'll do anything, but I can't go home. And she was like, like, well, we're going to put you on academic probation. So that means you can't practice in the spring with a football team. You can work out by yourself with the, with the strength coach. You can't work out with the team. You can't practice with the team, none of that stuff. And so, uh, and so they, they found this lady who helped me just learn how to break down my assignments and my readings and when to start my papers and all that kind of stuff. And then I, then I was like a 3.0 student mm-hmm. from that point on. So like, even if it wasn't for that piece, none of the All-American accolades and all that stuff would have ever happened. I mean, it may have happened somewhere else, but not at, not at UVA because I wouldn't have yeah. been there. Yeah. And so like, when I think about those, those things, I think about all the people that were part of the journey to, to, to get me there, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but it was good to see that your hard work, you know, pays off. Like I, like I, I wanted to be the best offensive lineman in the entire country. And I would say that like, my last year, like arguably there was like uh, Bob Whitfield at Stanford and myself at Virginia. And then probably every now and again, it would be Leon Searcy from Miami or Eugene Chong from Virginia Tech. But usually me and Bob were considered the top two tackles in the entire country. So that was a pretty cool thing. You know, been a guy that came in at defense, uh, got moved to offense, uh, you know, and had to had to like get my mind right to do all that stuff. And then with the Jacobs blocking trophy at the time, I was only the second person ever to win it two times in a row or to win it twice period. 
right. and uh, and so that was a big deal because that trophy is not a media one. That's one that's voted on by the coaches. And so wow. that, that's when you know that you've been putting in the work because these dudes are watching film and game plan and all that stuff. They're not going by whatever hype the, the media machine has. And um, and so that's that trophy I hold like really close and dear to me because uh, that means more to me than than the All America one because the All America one all those people didn't see me play you know what I'm right, saying right. they're voting off for like who should this guy be and uh, what do you know about that guy and that you know all this reputation stuff but the Jacobs blocking trophy those are dudes that have seen me play they've watched the film they've had a game plan for me they've had to you know scout me and all those kinds of things so they knew what I was capable of and what I really truly was as a player so uh, that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, no, that's amazing, man. Anytime that, you know, you get voted high uh, in terms of, you know, by your peers and anything, mm -hmm. man, it just, uh, it, it, it means a lot more, man. So, you know, you went to UVA and I can relate too to what you went through, man, especially with the academic portion. My true freshman year, I was I actually was injured. Mm -hmm. I, got, I got hurt. It was the first time I'd ever been hurt in my entire life, you know, so I didn't even know how to, I mean, you know, aside from like learning how to handle like a college education, right. I'm trying to figure out how to handle the first time ever having surgery and like right. going through the rehab process and stuff like that. So if you can imagine academically, uh, my freshman year was was not great, you know, right. and then and then it followed that up with the not so great sophomore year either to the point where I had to go sit down and talk to the dean, you know. Right. And then uh, then I was able to get it turned around with the help of uh, my four year tutor, Allison Noble, mm -hmm. who I'll shout out on this episode uh, because, you know, she was, you know, she helped me become an, uh, uh, not only, you know, a 3.0, but uh, you know, academic honors and everything mm -hmm. like that. So uh, pretty <laughs> relatable right there, man. So you you have your four year career uh, at UVA. And you get drafted to the Seahawks 10th over. I didn't realize you were a top 10 pick. Well, you know, right? you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> top 10 pick, membership, man. You know, membership have its privileges. In the know? draft. Yeah. So I got to ask you about the draft because the draft is like, you know, it's an intricate thing. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because, like, I just remember the process for me. I was a fourth-round pick, but I thought I was going in the second. Like, right. No, no doubt. And if I wasn't going to go in the second, it was like, OK, right. I'm definitely going in the third. Like, without a doubt, there's right. no way possible <laughs> I'm getting past the third round. And regardless of where you're picked, whether you're top five, top 10, first round you, there, you know, there's a space of, uh, you know, expectation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So did you expect to go 10th? To, the, to, to Seattle or or did you expect to maybe even go <laughs> earlier somewhere else or even later, perhaps? Well, honestly, I thought I was going to go higher than that. Um, when I went to the NFL Combine, uh, as soon as we, you know, the offensive linemen are the first ones to arrive to do the workouts and things, at least back then we were. And uh, as soon as I got to the hotel, all, all the guys are getting off the bus. We're coming from that different, you know, flights and things. We're all on the same bus getting out. And there's this dude with the Indianapolis Colts holding his sign up for Ray Roberts. And so, of course, that caught everyone's attention because they had the first two picks in the draft that year. They had the number one pick and the number two pick. Oh, so wow. I'm like, dang, like we just landed in the Colts on to talk to Ray already. And so I go do this interview with the Colts. And, uh, and so then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, well, man, that's a chance like, <laughs> that I could be like one of the top two picks in the draft. 
going into it, though, you knew that Steve Ventman, the defensive lineman for uh, the University of Washington, dude should have won the Heisman Trophy as a defensive lineman. He was that dominant. Uh, wow. Knew he was going to be the first number one pick. So it was pretty much two and then on because that dude was going to, he was going to, he was the most dominant player in college football at that time. Just an amazing player. Um, and so, so then went through the combines, tested, you know, okay, the combine, I didn't do, I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. But coming up against on the draft day that morning, I had like two different calls. One was the Indianapolis Colts. And they were like, hey, like if we go uh, offense with the number two pick, we're going to draft you at number two. Uh, mm. If we go defense, we're going to draft Quentin Corriott, linebacker from Texas A&M. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like, what do you want me to do, argue? <laughs> right, right. You want me to disagree with you? Like, you know, so like, I'm like, uh, right. Like, you know, I'm like, I didn't know what to do. Like, they, you know, back then I had the little landlines. We didn't have all the cell phones and stuff. So right, I had right. to the phone up and call my agent who was on his way to my apartment. And I'm like, yo, dude, I just got this call from the, from the Colts. And this is what they said. And he's like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, when I get there, I'll get on the phone with him, blah, blah, blah. And so then he gets there, and we get another call. And it was the Dallas Cowboys. And the Cowboys had okay. the 15th pick and the 17th pick in the draft. Okay. And they said they had two questions. They said, they, no, they said, one, anytime someone calls you, you know, to draft you before our pick, we need to talk to them because we want to try to trade up to, to get you. And then, um, and then the second part was, uh, do you mind if we have someone, you know, come watch the draft with you? So I'm thinking like, I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia, the draft is happening in like three hours. Like who's going to be here? Like someone's going to automatically come from Dallas to get here. And right. so my agent's <laughs> like, Oh yeah, that's no problem. Honest to God, turbo. As soon as we hung the phone up, boom, 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 dude knocked on the door. He's <laughs> been in the parking lot the whole time, just waiting to see if he was going to be able to watch the draft with us. And so, oh, this, wow. so this dude comes in and he has this briefcase. And he and he said, hey, okay, so if someone calls you, then before I pick, I need to talk to him, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then uh, and then he's like, you know, here's some other things to think about. We have like this contract already written up that, you know, we tried our guys agreed to the contracts before we draft them and all this stuff. So my agent's like looking through all that stuff. And uh, and so that's kind of how the morning started. And wow. so, so then it, so then the draft starts and then it seems more likely they're going to take uh, Quentin Curry out with the number two pick. So then I knew I was going to be somewhere in the, in the top 10 because Atlanta needed an offensive lineman. I think uh, Cleveland was looking for offensive linemen, Seahawks. Uh -huh. And so, um, and so then we started getting the calls from the Seahawks and the Seahawks were like saying like, Hey, like if you're there at number 10, we're going to take you. Uh, what do you think about the weather? Do you have an umbrella? Like all the kind of Seahawks, Seahawks <laughs> jokes and stuff. And then they, and then they hit me with the, we want to do a, want you to agree to this contract before you before we draft him and somebody like okay what are the terms they're like well we're going to take an average of like these the players above you and all this other kind of stuff but we're not going to include if a quarterback get drafted we're not going to include the quarterback because their salaries can be different and i'm like nah not nah, if a quarterback goes before that's good for me you know what right. I'm saying? so so like no nah, we, we're not going to agree to that one and so then all of a sudden they go okay well we'll talk to you later and and so then i'm looking at my agent like oh man i may have just messed that one up like that didn't sound like we still going to draft you talk. And right. then about two picks later, I could, uh, the, uh, the dude was carrying a card up to the commissioner and he repeats your name from the card and gives it to the commissioner. And everybody in my house was like doing their little party thing and drinking. I was right up to the phone. I mean, to the TV, had my ear right up to that mind. And I heard him say Ray Roberts. So I knew that I was about to get drafted. And, uh, and so then I just sat back down like real quiet and I just had my head down. And then they were like with the 10th pick, Seattle select, Seattle select, 
off in the top of University of Virginia, Ray Roberts. And then like our whole place just went just went nuts. Wait a minute. So so yeah. so so because first of all, like, I mean, obviously you're getting drafted. There's a lot going on, but there's yeah. a lot going on right now. I, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to figure out like, yeah. it, it, like what, what, what happened with the da- is that even legal? Yeah, For the I, Dallas I, guy to even be there like that, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it's legal or not, but I will say this: that my mom and my girlfriend had uh, girlfriend's parents had cooked like all this food. That Joker ate everything. It was just like, oh, oh when, come on, when, when his, job, <laughs> when his job was up, he was like, "Hey, do y'all mind if I have some of this food?" Oh, like, that's oh my funny, God. man. It was like taking like doggy bags and everything. My mom was like, "Hey, hold up, baby, like." <laughs> We got we got a long day to go. You can't take all the food. Oh man, <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, I don't know if it was legal or not. Like when they called, I that's why I referred to my agent. I'm just like, hey, dude, like, can we do this? And he's like, yeah. So what? And so then I'm on the phone. I'm like, yeah, like whatever. Hang the phone up. Boom, boom, boom. Dude, Did they try to call and make the trade? Yeah, they were trying to trade with teams, but teams wouldn't. Uh, teams wouldn't trade with them. Like nobody traded traded out of the top ten. They just all everyone stayed right pat with their picks, and so they ended up drafting like. Uh, Kevin Smith, a defensive back, and Robert, I can't think of Robert's last name, but he's a linebacker out of, of uh, East, I want to say East Tennessee State, I think it was, or East Carolina. Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking, man, because, like, this is 92, right? Mm-hmm. So, 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 they you know, this is football. like, this is prime, this is prime Dallas. Yeah. I mean, can yeah. you uh, can you imagine, man? You know what but I mean? The cool like, thing is that I visited the Cowboys before the draft. And so I went down there and I sat down with Jerry Jones and, and uh, Jimmy Johnson. And they were telling me like, you know, how they saw me fitting into their, to their offense and all this stuff. And then I went into the locker room and met and sat and talked with uh, Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and, and uh, Michael Irvin. And mm. that was crazy. Like, I mean, like these are the, you know, three dudes that you're just like, what? Like, first of all, I grew up a Cowboy fan and then wow. to, be, and to be at the Cowboy facility, walking through all this stuff and then meeting the, this you know three-headed the trio monster. yeah you know what I'm saying? it was just like and i was just like i couldn't like whatever they said i'm sure i was just like oh yes sir yes sir like because I, right. I was just in, i was in all of them you know and uh i just remember mike Irvin saying like yo man can you block for like 2.7 seconds or something like that he's like yeah that's all i need i'm gonna be open in 2.7 seconds Charlie's gonna give me that ball <laughs> of course like you know, of course all the thing, you know? <laughs> and i'm just like yes sir yes sir yes sir yes sir <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> Because I was just, oh, I was just blown away by it. So, uh, so yeah, I was I would have been excited to be a cowboy on a bunch of different fronts, uh, but also excited that uh, that the Seahawks like held their spot because they wanted me too. And so, yeah. Uh, so that was that was pretty awesome to to have that type of thing between the between those three different teams, the 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 Colts, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks. You know, really want like really desiring you to be there. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't like oh, we're just gonna take the best available, or he just happened to be the guy that fell to the board. Like you felt like you were at the top of the board, like you were the, the guy that they were pursuing. Yeah. Well, I guess it's safe to say that the team, cause I know for me and I, and I would imagine this is for all players, you know, at least for most of them, you have like a, we'll call it like a dream team, right? Like mm-hmm. a team that you want to play for growing up for me, it was the Ravens. Like I was mm-hmm. like, man, I used to when I was in college, I used to like lie to like 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 if I was like, you know, trying to holler at a girl or something in college and I would just lie and be like, I play for the Ravens or something like that. <laughs> whenever I could, <laughs> <laughs> when, <laughs> when I was uh, when I, or like when I was playing Madden and anytime I created a player myself. Right. 
I normally created myself as a raven. And and at the same time, I thought during my draft process, that team was going to draft me also because, mm-hmm. man, I killed it in the combine meetings with the Ravens, man. Yeah. I mean, I, they they told me to they asked me what my favorite play was. And, they, and then they asked me to draw it up on the board. And I'm talking about, man, I drew that thing up like I was the offensive coordinator. Right. You know what I mean? Because I, I know the game, you know, if it was right. one thing like I studied. So was was Dallas was probably the dream team. Is there a team that you probably thought you were going to go to aside from Seattle? Yeah, obviously, I like I think Atlanta had the eighth pick. And so uh, when I did my pro day, the offensive line coach for the Falcons ran the whole thing. And so, uh, you know, he really saw what I could do really up close and everything. And and uh, and so we had a really good relationship. And uh, and so I thought that I was going to go number eight. I thought it was going to be the first offensive lineman taken and uh, and still mm. go number eight to Atlanta. But that they ended up taking Bob Whitfield uh, from Stanford. And so and then I went number 10. He was a tackle. Yeah, he was a left tackle too, and so, so we were had to, we were generally considered like the top two tackles in the in the country. That had to play to some motivation for you a little bit. Uh, huh? A little bit. Bob and I were so such great friends though, because we played in like all star games and like the combine okay. together. Like we were always the last two in every drill, and everybody was we were always standing next to each other, and people always comparing us and like all kinds of stuff. And so we we just became like really good friends. And so I was happy for Bob, you know what I'm saying? And so, cool. uh, but I knew that if I didn't go to Atlanta, that I wasn't going to get past Seattle. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was fine with that. And like, you know, I don't get into, you know, some of these guys these days, like, you know, put a chip on their shoulder because they went number two and not number one. And it's just like, what? Like, right. like dude, you like get to play in the NFL. Like, you know, like I, that, that was my biggest dream. It didn't like, it really didn't matter. It, it was great that I was a number 10 pick and it was great that my hard work paid off and I was highly rated and all that other kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I made it to the freaking NFL, dude. Like I made it to where I yeah. wanted to go. Like this is a dream I had. I don't care if I was the first pick or Mr. Insignificant in the last pick, you mm-hmm. gave me a chance to put my cleats on that grass. And so I'm going to get a chance to show you what I can do. And so mm-hmm. like, that was what motivated me, not necessarily like, Oh, that guy shouldn't have got drafted or because if that was the case, there was a lot of other positions before me that that should not have gone before me, you know what I'm saying? Let alone the offensive tackle. There's some other just position players that, uh, that, uh, that I didn't think that they're, that they were better football players than me. And, uh, but I, I was just excited to, to get to the, to the NFL, uh, to hear my name called on whatever day it was going to be and then get a chance to go live out this dream. Well, this, the, the years you spent in Seattle, I mean, obviously, you know, they weren't the greatest uh, of times, you know, for the franchise. They were but terrible. They were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they were some of the worst ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you still did have some pretty uh, significant teammates, uh, yeah. you know, on the roster and, and, and some of the guys that you had to compete with, like Cortez Kennedy and Mike Sinclair, Jeff Bryant, Joe Nash and, and, and others. Uh, you know, talk about what it was like competing against those guys. Well, the, the cool thing was I felt like I got to the Seahawks at an interesting time because there was a lot of like, I mean, like old school type dudes leaving uh, the team and and this kind of more modern type football player was coming into the team. So you were like in this really cool little zone to sit and hear some old stories about like how, you know, just how brutal and tough it used to be. And then you're also in this 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 group of players where things are starting to kind of change as, as route relates to how you work out and the facilities and the, all these different types of things. And so it was, it was a really interesting thing to be able to talk to like Jeff Bryan and Joe Nash, you know, I've, I've wore 72 in college 
And then I thought like when I got to the Seahawks, like I'll get, you know, this, whoever this dude Joe Nash is, I'll just get him to give me a Jersey. I'll pay him for it or whatever. And uh, his wife saw my girlfriend before I could see Joe at some point, And she said, I just want you to know to let Ray know he ain't getting number 72. I'm like, uh, <laughs> the wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, so then, and so then when I, when I learned that, you know, he was part of this kind of diehard uh, group that they called him and Jeff Bryan and, uh, 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 Jacob Green, uh, then I understood his significance to the organization and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then it just it would have just been a disservice to try to some way convince him out of number 72. I wish I had taken 74, but I took 73 and you know, because I really didn't care at the time. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it was it was awesome practicing against those dudes, man. They knew like all the little tricks, they knew the tricks how to set you up too to make you think like they're gonna take it easy on the play and then they bust your butt and then you look like yeah, I had to learn like, that too. You're looking like dang dude, you gave me like the head tap. I thought that I thought the head tap meant like like we chilling out, like we brother law in this yeah, thing. And I now you're gonna bull rush me, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. You know, like, yeah. So like I had to learn like all that kind of stuff. Uh one of the really cool things is uh I don't know if you ever seen the movie Brian Song, and it was about uh Brian Piccolo who played for the Chicago Bears and uh it's a true story, he had cancer, was became his really good friends with uh, Gail Sayers. Mm-hmm. And uh and then you know, they were they were just real great friends through the whole thing and, and they they did a movie about it. And in the movie, there was this dude named Gabe, uh, who was their office, who was their coach at the time, and big old dude. And there's all these videos. Sometimes you watch your old NFL films, and he's singing like Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Like he, he's singing on the sideline. But mm-hmm. that dude was a friend of Tom Flores when I came here, and okay. so he would be at every single practice. And he had had like some, uh, like a brain tumor or something removed, so he wasn't like great at communicating unless you like really sat right with him and he's giving you time. He would watch every single thing I did. And then after practice, he would make me sit down right beside him as you go into the facility. And this is up in Kirkland. And he would just sit there and he coached me up on all these different things. Like, hey, you need to get your pad level down or your feet are too close together. You're standing too tall. You're running, holding your hands too low, like all this other kind of stuff. And so he and I became like great friends. And so it was really cool to be connected to the league that way because he was a head coach for the Chicago Bears at one time. Yeah. And so, uh, so this would be around like, that type of stuff. Like I always wanted to absorb anything that Jacob Green was talking about when he was rushing, talking about rushing the quarterback. You know, Cortez was Cortez, dude. Like that dude was like, that dude was like a, like a world of his own. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he was a planet on a planet. Like that's how he was with the, with the Seahawks. And so he, we would have to tell him not to practice. Like he'd always like the one thing people don't understand about Tez, like his body may not have looked like it, but this dude could play football all day long, full steam ahead. Because he would want to take all the scout team reps. He wanted to take all the first team reps. Like, he, he never wanted to take a break. And so, every now and then, we'd have to go, like, dude, you got to get off the scout team. And he's like, what, what's going on, Big Ray? I'm like, dude, like, we can't run any plays. Like, <laughs> we can't get anything done with you over there, dude. Like, we don't right. even know what the play is supposed to look like because you're blowing it up every time. So, can you, like, step out for a few plays and let yeah. us get this thing done? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so, so it, was, it was really cool. Uh, you know, and our culture here, even though my first year, dude, we were two and 14 and our defense was one of the top 10 defenses in the league. Mm. Our defense was so good. And our offense was so bad that sports illustrated named our defensive coordinator, the coach of the year. Like that's how, that's how, that's <laughs> oh, how good, wow. he, that's how good our defense was. But not one time was our defense finger pointing. Not sure. They were upset, frustrated, all that kind of stuff, but they would always, you know, Paul Moyer was a coach at the, uh, one of the coaches, but they would always be like, man, we're going to get you the ball back. We're going to get you guys the ball back. Don't worry about it. We'll get you the ball back. And we just, we just didn't have the, we didn't have a quarterback. We didn't have the skill position. We had running back because that Chris Warren, we led the, the AFC at the time when the AFC West, we led the AFC in rushing 
Chris wow. rushed for over a thousand yards, Pro Bowl rusher, you know, running back and all that stuff. We just couldn't throw the ball. We didn't have any receivers. We had nobody to throw the ball to, and and then that, and really nobody that could throw the ball to him. And so, uh, so we really struggled uh, that way on offense. The, that first year, we we I think we averaged eight points a game, which is like if we had averaged sixteen points a game, if we had just doubled that with the way our defense was playing, we'd have made it to the playoffs. Like wow. that's, but we just we we were just bad. We had like three or four shutout games where we didn't score any points, like stuff like that. So it was uh it was a really tough year coming from Virginia where we had run a, won a lot of football games. Mm-hmm. And at one point at Virginia, we were number one in the country for four weeks. Like we're always in the top 10, top 15, and then to come here and then just can't figure out how to win. It was just, that was really hard. That, that was hard. That was the hardest adjustment of all was that first year, just trying to figure out how do you win a football game in this league? You know, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's tough, man. It's tough at the highest level, man. You mentioned something that was kind of interesting though. I mean, you know, just about your number. You said you wish you would have had 74 instead of 73. Is there any significance to that? <clears throat> when I was at UVA and they would like, maybe my jersey was dirty or torn or whatever, and I needed, to pra- I needed a jersey to practice in, they'd always give me number 73. <clears throat> and I'd have bad practices in number 73. And so oh, my wow. line coach was like, dude, don't, don't wear 73. Like, don't you tell them to give you any other jersey number for practice. That's funny. And uh, and so, but you know, when you get to the league, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. I'm in the league. Whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever jersey number, they could have gave me freaking 63 out of war. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't Mm -hmm. care. Um, and so, but just my superstition in me was like, man, maybe I should have taken like 74 or 71, but 73 is not like the coolest looking number. But yeah, um, but then when I went to when I went to Detroit, I said, Hey, I'm coming. But I need one thing. And they're like, what that? I need number 72, bro. Like, 72. Yeah. We'll get to Detroit, too. Yeah. We'll get to Detroit here in a second. Um, I wanted to touch on something real quick because, you know, you grew up in Asheville. Mm-hmm. I said that right. Nashville, North yep, Carolina. Asheville. Yep. Small town, I'm assuming, small right? Town. Yep. Um, and uh, you go to college at at Virginia and then all of a sudden you end up on the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest, up in the corner of the United States. Culture shock. I mean, how was that adjustment for you? No, it, it was real tough, man. Like I I had never been past I had never been further west than like Chicago. And uh mm. so I had no idea of anything past Chicago other than what you'd see on TV. And you gotta remember like back then all you had was like three or four channels. So it's not yeah. like you were saying the whole world on TV. And so yeah. um, uh, I, I, I didn't even leave my state <clears throat> until I was like 14, you know what I'm saying? So like to come to leave, uh, you know, the first time I left my state was when I was 14. I we went to Chicago for a family reunion and I was just like, whoa, like they, they had a huge building. And, uh, and so <laughs> coming, <laughs> coming out to Seattle, I didn't know what to expect. I couldn't even picture in my head where Seattle was. Like, I was thinking, like, man, it's right next to Alaska. It's probably going to be really cold. And then I right. felt like, oh, well, this is probably close to California. I can live in California. You know, and like, and then my agent was like, well, uh, if you're going to drive 17 hours to get right. to work, you can live in California because you got to right. go to the state of Oregon. I'm like, right. oh, right, right. You know, so like, I had no clue. <laughs> and so when I got out here, I was just like, super, first of all, I was impressed about how clean it was. Like, I just, there was no, you know, trash on the roads, you know, coming from the airport up to Bellevue into Kirkland and all that kind of stuff. And everything was so green. It was beautiful. Um, but then quite frankly, like, you know, I grew up in a really poor uh, black neighborhood 
Um, and all of a sudden I was, you know, you're living in Kirkland. And it's just like, mm, wow, mm. like that's a house. I thought that was an office building, you know, like that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know? And right. then like this idea of like you know, people living right on the lake and all the boats and all this stuff. I, I really didn't know. I didn't really know how to respond to it. Like I was kind of in shock of all of it, you know, and, and, uh, and not, you know, like even like going to the mall and, and just like sends just stories of things you've never even heard of. And like, yeah. all the, you know, all that stuff, you know, and then, and then, taking the, the trip to drive into the city for the first time. <laughs> it was like, where all these cars come from, man? Like, you know, like there's just so many cars and people. And I'm just like, so afraid I'm gonna hit somebody driving into Seattle at the time and, you know, stuff like that. And so it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, a lot of a shock uh, that way, like a real small town I'm from. And then even Charlottesville, a college town is still a small town. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then all of a sudden come out here and had never had any type of experience, like in any type of big city and stuff. Uh, it was definitely uh, a learning experience. And, you know, being from, you know, North Carolina, we talk a little bit slower and stuff. People, I'm just like, every time someone talked to me, I thought they were trying to talk me out of something. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if, if it was a, if it was something where I had to answer yes or no, I just would not answer. Cause I'm just like, I don't know what I'm saying yes to. I don't know what I'm saying no to because you're talking too fast. And so I'm just not going to answer anything. I'm just going to give you like, oh, okay. All right, nice to meet you. And then I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that's what I was dealing with. And so, uh, but no, yeah, it was a definite culture shock. But it always helps you know, because you you have instant friends on the team. You know what I'm saying? You right. come to a team right. and you, you just already have that built-in peer peer group. And so, uh, Chris Warren, who was the running back here at the time, was actually a running back at UVA, and uh, and he was there with me for one spring. And the dude was like people don't understand how athletic this dude is like, you know, six two, 220 something pounds can run. One of the fastest times I've seen him run was like a four, three, nine or something like that. Ooh. Super fast dude, you know, almost 40 inch vertical. Wow. Like uh, when he, when I got to UVA, he was coming off of academic probation. And so he has, had missed a year and he was preseason hadn't played it down in a year. He's preseason all conference cornerback He's preseason all conference punt off kick returner, punt returner his preseason all-conference running back. They didn't know where they was going to put him. They just knew he was going to be all-conference no matter what they put him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, how, that, wow. that's, how, that's how athletic he was. But then he didn't quite get the GPA that he needed. So then he, he had to, you know, they they booted him out. And he ended up going to Ferrum, not, mm. not Furman, but Ferrum, this Division mm. three school, broke all of their records playing half, only one half each game. The dude was just a man-child. Wow. And, uh, so I've already, I already knew him from UVA. And so when I got out here, he kind of, took me on his arm and you know I had a familiar face and all that kind of stuff and uh so that was kind of cool mm-hmm. it'll be pretty interesting who uh who was your favorite running back that you blocked for mm-hmm. to in a moment as well but uh I wanted to ask this question and then we're gonna move on to uh you know your decision to go to Detroit and kind of get into your career uh, over there but you know everybody has a moment or you know there's something that kind of inspires them to say you know hey I want to do this or I want to do that you know when I when I grow up so you know when was that for you when you decided like man I want to do this football thing yeah well you know in my neighborhood there wasn't a whole lot going on like honestly like dudes were either getting locked up shot up or they were working at like mcdonald's or something and which is nothing wrong with working at mcdonald's but i just didn't see myself as you know i saw myself doing bigger things than that and so then i had to figure out 
how I, how was I going to get out? How was I going to find another pathway? And the only thing I could think about was going to the military. And uh, and then I started thinking like, man, I'm a big dude. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I go to the military and people are shooting like, where am I hot? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> freaking six five. Like, I'm gonna be hiding behind the trees, you know, the rocks and all this other kind of stuff. Like, how the heck am I gonna get out? Of, you know, out of the way of these bullets. And uh, and so then this is the god the honest truth, man. I had no concept of what it took to get to college to play sports. I just thought that you get to college and you go out for the football team like the same way you do in high school. So I went to my coach, my high school coach one time, and I said, dude, like I have all these letters from these colleges wanting me to come play football. We can't afford, can't afford to play football there. And uh, he goes, what are you talking about, Ray? I'm like, dude, I got, we get all these letters at my house, like from colleges all over the country. He's like, hey, bring me those letters. And so I, I had like these two like trash bags full of letters. And I took them in, boom. I'm like, here they are. And he goes, Ray, like these people want to give you money to come to play football. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's called a scholarship. Like they, they, they pay for everything. Like, He's like, this, this is like, this is awesome. Like, this is your, this is a, a way to change your life forever. You know, like wow. stuff like that. And so I'm thinking to myself, cause you know, my dad, I'm raised by my dad. My dad was like, but you don't get nothing for free. Like some, some way, somehow that bill is coming. And so I'm like telling the coach the same thing. I'm like, dude, my dad said, you don't get nothing in this world for free. So th- they might be paying for it now, but they're going to send us a bill and we can't afford it. My dad is a janitor <laughs> at the high school and my, and my mom's a maid. They maybe make $10,000 combined for the year. There's yeah. no way we're going to be able to pay for college. He goes, Ray, I'm telling you, like, you don't have to pay it back. Like, you don't have to pay it back. They, it's free. Wow. Like, you get to go for free. Think of it that way. I'm like, all right, well, then you're going to have to convince my dad that that's what the truth is. Because <laughs> there's no way, there's <laughs> no way I'm going to tell my dad that he's going to believe me. And so it took us like a month to convince my dad about what the scholarship thing is and what recruiting is and all that kind of stuff. And so then, wow. then as I started taking these trips and started learning about, you know, like the, you know, the academics in college and how everything works, that's when I realized, like, you know what, like, this is what I need. I'd never thought about, I hadn't really thought about the NFL at that point. I just thought about how am I going to get to a place where I can better my life. And, mm-hmm. and the way I, I saw to do that once I understood this recruiting thing was to play, was to, to get to college on this football thing. And then the other thing I thought about was if I can do it, then it's going to show other dudes from my community that they can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously like you want to inspire the women too, but at the time, women's sports wasn't as big and they weren't giving out tons of scholarships and all that kind of stuff. So I was just trying to figure out how do I make it better for myself, change my life forever, but also change their lives forever by, by being an example. That's as far as it went. And so, so then when I got to college and um, one of the first times I ever really thought that I could be an NFL player is when I was playing defense and the scouts were there um, watching some of our older players, uh, you know, on defense and this one scout from the Buffalo Bills walked past me as I was walking off the field and he said hey brother if you keep doing what you're doing you'll be the first million dollar defensive end in the NFL because at the time I think like Bruce Smith was maybe the highest paid player defensive player defensive end he's making like eight hundred thousand dollars a year or something like that and, wow. and and when he said that that just that changed my whole mindset forever like I it just it planted in my mind that I could get to the NFL. And, it, and, uh, and so that stuck with me through offense and defense, but that was, those are like pivotal moments in my journey. Uh, but then ultimately my journey, my final destination has never been the NFL. Mm-hmm. My, my final destination has been to be doing the work that I do now, where I get to inspire other people, create opportunities for other people, give people that don't have voice, help them find their voices and speak for them until they do find their voices. Like I've always felt like that's, that was my, my purpose in life. 
And football was just a, you know, the NFL was just another stepping stone to get me to that place because it opens right. a lot of doors when you get to right. say you're a former NFL player, then you can jump in. They want to talk about football and you can do that. And they'd be like, you know what, but this is what I want to tell you. You know what I'm right. saying? Like I'm going I'm to talk to you for football for like 10, 15 minutes, answer all your questions, but then we're going to talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah. And then that's yeah. how I go about it. So that's how I kind of crafted my life, you know, ever since it's just using football as a stepping stone. And so it was never like a, like a, Hey, I made it moment. It was like, okay, this is an, another step with an important step, but it's just another step to, to being who I, who it is. I really truly wanted to be. Right. The platform, the platform. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go back a little bit because you know, you, you, uh, you did your time in Seattle. Then you decided to go to Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, what went into that decision? Well, I was a free agent at the time. Mm -hmm. And right. in my third year, we we're playing the Houston Oilers. That's how old I am. They're still playing in Houston. And uh, we had this play where the tight end went down block and I pulled around the corner. They tossed the ball to Chris. And then we'd have this, you know, pulling sweep thing going. And, and the DB at the time went uh, low to take me out. And when he went low to take me out, everybody else fell on top of me and I dislocated my foot. So my left foot was turned mm. completely backwards. And, uh, and so, uh, it took me until about halfway through the next season, which would have been my fourth year to, to come back from that injury. Uh, and so then the Seahawks at the time, you could do a franchise tag and a transition player tag. And so the franchise tag meant that you got like an average of like the top, 10 people at your or top five or 10 people at your position. And then the, the transition tag means you got the average of like the top 10 um, contracts at your position. And so they had the franchise tag and this transition tag. So they had transition tag me. And um, but because I had missed so much time and they didn't think that my ankle was going to recover and all these different kinds of things, they removed the transition tag and just let me be a free agent. Well, I still thought I was going to get to sign with the Seahawks because I, I just wanted to play my whole career here. Uh, but they were like, I think they thought I was damaged goods. And so they didn't want to make an offer. Mm. And so I became an unrestricted free agent. And so uh, I went and visited uh, the Raiders, the uh, Panthers, uh, I think the Jets, uh, who, maybe the Titans had they moved to Houston by then? Forgot. Yeah, it was yeah, like five yeah. or six teams that I visited. Yeah. And then when I went to Detroit, uh, they had Herman Moore, who he and I were freshmen freshman together at UVA he just he okay. left the year early so from one class they had we had two top 10 picks he was a 10th pick the year before I was okay. and they had um uh Don Mikowski who had played at UVA before we got there quarterback who was a dude that was a pro bowl quarterback for the for the uh Packers got hurt Brett Favre came in and the rest is history wow. <laughs> and then uh they also had uh, this dude Greg Jeffries who played defensive back at Virginia uh and then that year uh, I think they drafted this guy, Chris Harrison, who who was the right tackle at Virginia with me for one year. So there was a bunch of Virginia dudes. Yeah, at, at yeah a lot of connects there. It just felt like home, dude. And uh, I just went I just asked Herman like two or three questions about like the city and the team and the organization. And he's kind of signed off on it. So then I'm like, all right, I'm coming to Detroit. then. And honest to God, I had seen highlights and things of Barry, but hadn't really watched Barry like I'd, I'd seen him but I hadn't seen him seen him you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying and so mm -hmm. <laughs> when I got there I'm just like you know trying to block for Barry and I was kept running <laughs> into him he cutting things back all the time and I'm like so I'm just like man let uh, me just like I'm just gonna block until the whistle blows and then and then I'll just watch the film on Monday to see what he did you know what I'm saying like <laughs> like that's 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 what it was but no that, that was that was the reason I went to um 
went to Detroit. And the thing that's funny about that is, uh, you know, John Clayton, John Clayton knows everybody. And so everybody. like, it was like, uh, the Detroit Lions called me like on a Wednesday night said, Hey man, we love, we got a ticket for you. If you can just get to the airport first thing in the morning, get out here, man, we'd love to see you get this contract signed. Da, 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 da. I'm like, all right, no problem. I'm like, like in the middle, like this is like the last thing at night. And before I could even get to the airport, on the next morning, John Clayton was calling. Hey, heard you going to Detroit. I'm like, how did you hear that, dude? Like, we just had a conversation <laughs> last night. How did you how did you understand all that stuff? And so it just, John Clayton has just been the man forever. Like, he was yeah. the first one to be breaking, like, all that stuff because he just had all the connections. But, uh, but yeah, that's how I ended up in Detroit. It's just because it was just – it just felt like family because of all the right. all the Virginia guys there. It wasn't because of Barry Sanders or Wayne Fonts or the city of Detroit. It had everything to do with just the five or six UVA players that were already mm-hmm. there. Man, there was a uh, pretty uh, interesting moment during your time in Detroit. You guys were playing against the Steelers, <laughs> and the game uh, the game goes into overtime. And so uh, you go out there for the coin toss, which is, you know, you were a captain there for yeah. four out of the five years uh, that, that you were there, and we'll get into that as well. And uh, guess the referee misheard you. <laughs> well, he misheard Jerome Bettis. You know, and so, so the problem was that I think he said tails. I can't remember whatever uh-huh. he said. The referee got it wrong. So yes. it it yeah, was uh, and but what happened was when he was you had to call it in the air at the time, and so he flipped it in the air. Phil Lockett, I think it was, and the the coin was coming back towards him, and so he was trying to get out of the way of the coin as Jerome was calling tails. As a tails. Yeah. And so he was like tails, and then the thing hit the ground, and he's like. uh, it's tails. You said heads. And if you ever watch the film again, just watch. I think it was either. I think it's my right hand. I pointed my hand went up like this. I was about to correct the referee. Right. Went, no, he said. And then I realized that we were going to get the ball. And then I put right. my hand back down. And then and then Robert Porsche said, we'll take the ball. And, and when I was running off the field, I was dying laughing it was like the fuck because i'm like man they messed that up so bad and i almost corrected them like i was just like just this it's just in my nature like oh right. my God, you know what I'm saying? but i was like no nah, that would have that would have caused some controversy right there <laughs> yeah, for sure yeah. and uh so i ran right off the field right to our team chaplain and i said i said hey man like they got that they got that call wrong uh should i have said something you know because my conscience wasn't feeling good i hear you and he was like he's like you know what ray not your job. I'm like, thank you. Let's go win yeah. this okay. <laughs> hey, That's the perfect answer right there. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And then with all this controversy around it, you know, my mom sees the highlight. And so then my mom's calling me when I get home. Oh, are you lying on TV? I'm like, mom, I, didn't, I wasn't lying. I just I didn't have anything to say. Like, it, like, it wasn't my job to say anything. The dude messed up, got it wrong. Well, you, you better not be lying. And I'm just like, whatever, mom. Like, you know, we won the football game. But yeah, every Thanksgiving, they, it's in the it's in the top 10 plays. And so I always get people blow me up on social media. My family blows me up every time. I videotape it every time. I don't know why, but I do. It's kind of mm-hmm. cool. And you still I get always, asked about it? Uh, from time to time, not a whole yeah. lot. I was a little messed up, mad one time. They did like a, a pizza commercial. I think it was Pizza Hut or someone did a commercial like joking about it. And they had they had uh, uh, Jerome Bettis on there. But I'm like, man, I could have like called your boy. Like I was the other half of that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, could have gave me some some juice on TV. But I, I I only get asked about it like around that time when it when it when around Thanksgiving and people start talking about it. But I always feel like that's my legacy. <laughs> 
to the game because now you got to call the call the, the 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 heads or tails before they toss it. And there's more than one referee out there. There's two referees. Back then, there's only one referee, and that's a head referee. Mm-hmm. Now they have two referees out there, and you got to call it before they flip it. And so that mm-hmm. all was a result of that particular coin toss. Right, right. So you go to you go to Detroit. You become a team captain, mm-hmm. and you're the team captain for that team for four out of the five years that you were there. Right. Yeah. When was the first opportunity that you got? Because Seattle felt like you were damaged goods, right? Mm-hmm. When was that first opportunity to play against Seattle and maybe, you know, have that get back game? Yeah, so it, I think it was, it might have been my first year there. Can't remember. First or second year, I think it was Mike Holmgren's first year here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came back to Seattle. Uh, well, let's see. I think that was the first time came back to Seattle because we did play one time in Detroit, in Detroit too. But I think it was the, the, the first time we came back into Seattle. That's when I told you that the defensive line was loaded, bro. We, you know, last week, I was telling you on the radio, they had Cortez and Sam Adams and yeah. uh, Michael Sinclair and, and uh, Michael McCrary. Like, right. those dudes could get after the quarterback. I mean, like, at one point, Michael McCrary and Michael Sinclair were chasing each other for the lead the league in sacks. Wow. And I'm talking about, like, like in the teens. Like, I think, I think uh, Sinclair ended up – leading the league and he had like 16 sacks or something 17 sacks wow. and prayer was like right behind him with like 13 and 14 and so it, it was it was uh we're in the old kingdom too and so our whole game plan was to just make those two big boys in the middle run in the whole first half and so we just ran sweep left sweep right sweep like making cortez and sam have to run sideline to sideline to sideline to sideline and so we could wear them out and then maybe we can make some yards and uh and so that's kind of how we how we went about it but uh it it was it was more like um i just wanted to prove i just wanted people to see me playing good football you know what i'm saying uh, uh because sometimes you get lumped in with everything that was not good about the teams when i was there and you just think that everybody was terrible but man i was playing good football even though our our offense wasn't you know wasn't all that good and you know we didn't have all the skill stuff like there when little rankings and things would come out i'd always be like in the top you know 10 or 12 you know, tackles and just all tackles, right and left tackles. I'd be like in the top 10 or 12 in there. So that would make me somewhere in the top, you know, eight or so left tackles in the league. And, uh, but being on a team that wasn't doing anything, you just don't get a whole lot of recognition that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just important for me to come back and play good, solid football and kingdom in front of the fans, because I always came back here after this is where I lived during the off season. So it kind of gave mm. me, you know, I didn't want to be walking around town and they're like, Oh man, we killed you. So, when you so even when you played in Detroit, you you kept your home in in uh in Seattle. Seattle, yep. Came back wow. here every off season, and I still like engaged in like all the community work, and you know did all those types of things. I just love it. I just love it out here, you know. And uh, if I was going to move anywhere, I was going to go back home to North Carolina, and so mm-hmm. uh, that just wasn't you know a good move at the time. And so to stand here in Seattle was the best thing to do. And so we would we had a house that we lived in in Detroit, and during the off season, I would rent it out to the players that wanted to stay there for the off season. And I'll come back here to Seattle and then um, and we had a home back here. And so that's kind of how we worked that. All right. I got to get into it now. OK, I've been holding yeah. off. I've been patient. OK, yeah. I got to know because Barry said like, I grew up a 49er fan, but. Barry Sanders is my favorite all time player. Right. Ever. He's the reason why I play running back. Barry, I wanted to be Barry Sanders. OK. When uh, 
you know, when I when I was when I was growing up, let's fast forward to, uh, you know, let's fast forward to when I was getting recruited out of high school because mm-hmm. I was a defensive player as well. I actually had more scholarships, more scholarship offers to play safety, free safety than I did running back. Mm-hmm. And my high school coach even advised me. He said, Turban, everybody wants to be a running back. You should play free safety. Mm-hmm. You'll have a longer career. And as a, you know, 16, 17 year old, you know, teenager, like, you know, right. yeah, when I think about it now, like ah, maybe maybe he was right. Maybe, you know, right. uh, but and I always think about how my career would have been as a free safety because I was really good. I was, you know, <clears throat> first team you know, all league and all that kind of stuff coming out of high school and, and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to be Barry Sanders. Mm -hmm. That's who I wanted to be. Like, that was like, I guess my idol, the guy that I tried to imitate when I ran the football. And so, you know, obviously we know as a player and you even explained earlier, it's just like, I'm just going block to the whistle because I don't know where this guy is going to go. Yeah. on on any given play yeah and you know so we know he's to me he's the greatest running back of all time uh and he you know he retired early and stuff like that and i and i, and I want to ask you about that as well but i just want to ask you know how was it being teammates with him how was he not just as a ball player but just as as a person as a human yeah, but barry is a very quiet dude which is really interesting seeing him do all these tv commercials and whether or not he's like manning his own social media page or not, that he still like engages a lot. And, uh, but back then this, this dude, like this just did not say a whole lot. You know, he's a good dude. He worked hard, came, put his work in, didn't, didn't say a whole lot. You know, if we rush for hundred yards or something, he'd take us, take the offensive line out for dinner. You know, he, he always gives a, a, a gift at the end of the season, you know, he rushed for over a thousand yards, stuff like that. Uh, but he was kind of a dude that not like a today's superstar that gets all, bent out of shape because he's not getting his carries or he thinks they should be doing it a different way or he wants to have in, input on who who's on the team and who's off the team. Barry just said, you paid me to be the running back. I'm going to come and be the running back. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's who he was. So if he got five carries, okay, that's what you guys want to do today. If he got 55 carries, okay, that's what you guys want to do today. He just stayed, he just stayed right here all the time, you know, and of anybody ever in the league that had, capital to say what he wanted to say when he wanted to say it you know barry had to be right up there with one of those dudes just because of who he was and what he had done and what he represented uh but he was just never he was just never that guy and uh I'm not saying that that's good or bad but i'm just saying like he just he barry if if that barry was planning this time he'd probably get swallowed up by like the social media stuff because he just wasn't this wasn't that dude you know and, he, and he's not gonna jump out and say well i want to say have say in who does what and when we do it this wasn't that guy. As a matter of fact, when the year he rushed for 2,000 yards, uh, we had, after the first two games, we had exactly 53 yards rushing. Barry did. And so the offensive coordinator called myself, another offensive lineman, uh, one of the receivers, Barry, uh, a tight end. And he said, hey, like, what do we need to do, you know, to, to get this thing going? And I just said, look, man, like, I don't get paid to do this. I don't, I don't get paid to, to call the plays. I just get paid to block and that's what I do. But if you're going to ask me, I would get this ball to number 20 until his freaking wheels fell off. Like we would need, like, we would need a thousand oxygen machines on the sideline. 
That's how much I would give him the ball. He's a, he's our best player, and he's, he's he hasn't touched the ball that many times in the first two games. I'm like, so that's all I have to give. Now, whatever those plays are, or when you want to call them, or how you want to call them, or you know, right side, left side, trap, zone, whatever it is, pitch, screen, whatever it is, somehow the dude has to get the ball. That's not my job. I'm just since you asked me this question, that's the answer I have for you. And uh, and then from that point on, we set the consecutive 100 yard game mark. We rushed 14 games for over 100 yards. And then wow. that's when he rushed for he rushed for exactly 2,053 yards. Yep, 2,053. So in 14 games, he rushed for 2,000 yards, which a lot of people would always say, well, OJ Simpson rushed for his 2,000 yards in 14 games. So technically we rushed for 2,000 yards in 14 games. And, wow. uh, and so that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, and that was the type of dude Barry like Barry didn't say one word in that meeting. Like Barry ain't gonna say, like, hey, we should be or shouldn't do or who should or whatever. He didn't say anything, but we had like a dude like Herman that, that Herman thought he had to answer to everything. Brett Perriman, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Don Mikowski, you know, the backup uh, quarterback was drawing up plays on the board and all this other kind of stuff. I'm just like, dude, I don't get my, I'm gonna get an increase in pay if I'm doing all that. I'm just telling you, like, hand the ball to that that dude that wore number 20. I'm not even gonna say his name. That's how we referred to him. We never, uh-huh. we never called him like Barry. Like, we always be like, hey, number 20. Like, y'all gonna, is number 20 in the drill? You know, like, like right. the defense would be like, hey, number 20 in the drill, like nobody touch him, number 20 in the drill, you know, like stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, Barry's a really cool dude, real cool, down to earth, you know, like, uh, was really quiet. Uh, it's good to see him, like, you know, stepping out of his comfort zone these last, you know, since he's retired and, and like really letting people get mm-hmm. to know him and see who he is. But, uh, couldn't imagine as much as I love Chris Warren because Chris Warren will always be, be my guy. I just couldn't imagine blocking for anybody else. I mean, the dude was just classy dude. Score a touchdown. Don't he didn't celebrate or anything, right, which right. I don't care if you do or not, but I just thought it was cool that he didn't. And yeah. like one time we were giving him a hard time because he got caught from behind. And uh and so he he took off on this one run and and it was like 50, 60 yard touchdown run. And when he crossed the end zone, the the goal line, he just kind of pumped his fist like this. And we replayed it about 50 times in the team. <laughs> like, hey, Barry celebrated. Look, look, Barry celebrated. That's and all funny. he did was like pump his fist like maybe two inches. You know, and, and, and the ball to the referee, turn and walk to the sideline. That's that That's was his deal. Score, give you the ball, and I'm going to the sideline. Yeah. And, uh, but no, it's a great block for that dude. Yeah, no, I've got to – so, you know, like I said, Barry's my idol. So whenever I would score, I was the same way, high school, college get a ball to the ref. And then when I got to the league, you know, my cousin was just over it. He said, yeah. okay, I, okay, Turbo, I get it, man. But you got to give me something, okay? Yeah. This is entertainment now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I don't even remember Barry spiking the ball. Like, he, not right. even, like he wouldn't even, like, spike the ball or nothing. Like, he just handed it right to the referee. Right. And uh, the other thing about that, though, his dad was always on the sideline. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and his that's dad, amazing. like, if you ever watched the old school movie Shaft, uh-huh. He had a light shaft. He had a long leather coat on, that little brown leather hat, and that uh, joke of like this is a guy, this is no joke, Turbo. If you had a bad block and Barry got blocked at attacking it back in the backfield or something, you come run out the field. You you do not look at Mr. Sanders at all. You just ran right back. <laughs> Like, you look at the ground or you look up at the sky. I never knew that. You do not look at Mr. Sanders because, man, his stare would freaking break you down, bro. That's funny. He'd be like, yo, bro, that's my son. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're supposed to protect my man. Like, it it just got back in the the backfield. Like, you know, so Mr. Mr. Sanders was always on the sideline. It was kind of funny. Well, I want to finish with this, man. You know, I, I had some other things in my notes. Obviously, you're doing the Seahawks broadcast now. You coached at Lake Washington for for a little bit, man. And 
you know, you decided kind of coaching just kind of wasn't your thing. You know, you, you, you like doing the, the, the media stuff. Um, you know, man, I'm sure you've been a part of, you played against a lot of big time trash talkers mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and things like that. But I want to ask you about, because you mentioned you always lived in Seattle, even when you went to Detroit, you right. finished your career. You always spent your off seasons in, in, in Seattle. You still live here now. Uh, you talked about doing things in the community. Uh, and so you're the director of uh, you know, Unified Champion Schools and Urban Development uh, with special needs. And so uh, talk a little bit about that, how you got into that uh, and why it, why it means so much to you to be a part of uh, this community. Yeah, but, well, for one thing, uh, I've always had this dream of having my own school and I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to call it a school for at-risk kids because at-risk is such a, the answer to that is always negative. And so I always say like at-risk of being great, at-risk of being awesome, at-risk of being a millionaire, at-risk of like, I I hate the the at-risk thing because there's a negative connotation to people. So I always wanted to, I wanted to create a school that just taught differently, that like some people learn differently. And so this, I wanted to have a school that kind of did that. And so that's kind of why I went into coaching because then I had these kids for three hours a day and my, my classroom was a football field. And so it was more than, it's always been more than football to me. So I've coached at Interlake high school here and I coached at Lake Washington. And for me, it was always bigger than football. Like we can win some games. Great. If we don't win some games, we're going to win life. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I guarantee you we're going to win life. You know what I'm saying? And so that has always been my approach to it. Well, then I got this opportunity to work for special Olympics and what that did was it made my classroom bigger. So now my classroom is every state in the country, every school in the country, wow. every kid that's in those schools are my students. And so this, this idea of having a school like, like brick and mortar didn't come to, to pass, but the idea of having a school came mm-hmm. to pass. And so I get to like, you know, bring uh, resources and strategies and, and um, things to these schools and to these communities that make a difference in their lives, that gives them a chance, that uh, they give them you know, these, these students with intellectual disabilities a chance to have a life, to be successful in life, to have friends, to, to graduate from high school, to participate in sports, to win awards, uh, you know, to, to go to like national and world competitions. Uh, and so you change the trajectory of their lives and that changes the trajectory of the family's life, which then also changes the trajectory of that community. And so mm-hmm. when you think about it, uh, it's a heck of a teaching job to have, you know? And so that's the way I, that's the way I look at it. I feel like uh, this is the purpose that I'm on this earth is to do this type of work. Like it wasn't to play football. It wasn't to entertain hundreds of thousands of people on TV. It wasn't to block for Barry Sanders or Chris Warren or Rick Meyer or, or Scott Mitchell or Charlie Batch or any of those dudes. It was to do this work that I'm doing now. And uh, this is, this is like life changing work. It uses every ounce of me uh, more than football ever did because it uses my physical self, it uses my intellectual self, it uses my emotional self, it uses my intelligence, like all of that kind of stuff uh, is activated in this work. And so when you go to sleep at the end of the day, like you know that you've put in a good day's work to make at least one person's life better. And that's what life should all be about, right? So if we're all, if we can all go to bed at night and know that because of something we did today, somebody else's life is better, uh, then our world would be different. The way we respond to things would be different. The, the desire to uh, to to celebrate difference in a way that we lift up each other would be different. 
You know what I'm saying? Like it, mm-hmm. the outcomes would be different. The approach to it would be different. The energy around it would be different. And, uh, and so you can't do this type of work that I do and not be touched that way. And so it's, it's the type of work I can see myself doing for the rest of my life. Uh, and, and it's the type of work I would have done even if I wasn't being paid for it because I feel like that's what I was born to do. Like I, I, I felt like that God put me on this earth with the, the gifts and talents that I have to do this work to impact those people. And, uh, and so that's why I get so excited about it. I'm glad you gave me a chance to talk about it here at the end. Uh, and if, you know, whoever's listening to this, if you're in the state of Washington or not, you know, find your local Special Olympics organization. There's always volunteer opportunities, ways to give, way to don- ways to donate. You can coach, you can uh, help set up and break down events, all these different kinds of, you can create experiences for the athletes, all those types of things, volunteer with your jobs, everything, anything that you can think of, reach out to your local Special Olympics program and then and get involved that way because uh, we need the help and we, and I promise you, it will change your life forever by being engaged with it. Man, powerful, powerful stuff, man. Always a big time deal when you can make a difference uh, in other people's life in a positive way, especially for those who may be a little bit less fortunate, man. Big Ray, Uncle Ray, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Number 72. That's right, uh, boy. <laughs> we, appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate you uh, being on the show today, man. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks to all the listeners for listening to this episode. Uh, can't wait to be back for episode number five. Uh, we'll let you know who we got coming up. Yeah. Uh, Even if you want to do a part two, I'm down for that. Part two, part two. <laughs> if we do part two, that's gonna be in venue. Yeah, we'll just call absolutely. it that. Yeah. that. That'll be in venue. We don't know exactly where it's gonna be yet. Hopefully, somewhere in uh, you know, nice bit somewhere downtown Seattle, man, where we can you know have a have a crowd and bring in the fans and you know, sort of like uh, sort of like uh, w- w- what's his name, uh, David Letterman that he's doing on Netflix <laughs> right now. The the next Absolutely. guest, you well, know, so, something like sure. that, man. So really appreciate you guys. Uh, don't, hit the, don't forget to hit that subscribe button uh, as we continue to have more episodes. So everybody take care. Much love. Peace. <laughs>